Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. When I was in college, my dad was driving me to the airport for a summer internship, and he gave me this piece of advice. Take every situation and turn it into gold. And it turns out that without him knowing, that was actually perfect advice for the internship that summer. It was something that was difficult to do, but entering into especially difficult situations with that mindset really helps you to take suboptimal situations and actively think about how you can make them something that is a net positive. Our guest today is going to share a little bit about that in today's interview. We're going to get to a little bit more about him in just a second, but first... It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today considers himself a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body. He is the world's first chief Googleization officer, and he's recognized as one of the top 10 global thought leaders in future of work, HR, and leadership by Thinkers360. He's president of Poised for the Future Company and founder of Success Performance Solutions. He's presented on the prestigious red carpet of TEDx and is the author of several books, including Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, selected by Book Authority as one of the all-time best HR and recruiting books. Here is Ira Wolf. Ira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. It's great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I absolutely am. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? I've had an interesting journey, you know, changed careers and learned a few things. I I guess one of the the statements or one of the people that most impressed me early on was Warren Bennis. Some people, some younger people may not be familiar with him, but I, I remember reading him maybe 25, 30 years ago when he talked about, you know, leaders are people who do the right thing and managers are people who do things right. And I I guess that helped me define whether I wanted to kind of manage or lead. You know, I think that really shaped my life. I I think the other thing, and it's it's pretty common right now, uh, it's not common, but, you know, people talk about continuous learning. And I guess my mother probably was one of the biggest influencers on that because she's 97 and she's having a little eyesight problems now, but she's an avid learner. I mean, you know, unfortunately, she's always got the TV on uh, some of the news, but, you know, she she misses the reading. She's always trying to learn new things. And, you know, here's somebody 97 and and uh, still 
wants to figure out what's what's new in the world. I, I think that was probably one of the strongest influences. Before continuous learning was in vogue, that was always my influence. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I would say one is leaders need to be influential. And, and that doesn't mean they need to be charismatic, but they need to be able to influence other people. But they also need to be purposeful and, you know, certainly demonstrated over the last few years. And, and again, my, my personal bias, they need to be empathetic. So purposeful, influential, empathetic. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? How do they need to change? And if they're a leader, how do their people and their roles need to change substantially in the next two years? What's a book that you would recommend to leaders? I'm actually reading a, a great book right now. It's called Adaptation Advantage. It's one of the best books I've picked up. I, I read a lot of chapters. I don't read full books. I'm reading this one cover to cover. It's a great book. So Adaptation Advantage. And and just another one, just for understanding where we are, is by Leonard, uh, Gerd Leonard. And it's Technology and Humanity. And it's, it's really about keeping the human and humanity, or the H in humanity. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Uh, learn to unlearn. What do you mean by that? We need to stop trying to f- do the same thing over and over again. You know, Einstein's definition was was insanity. We just have to learn to do things differently. And in order to do that means we have to unwire the way we, even our mindsets, how we approach the past, because it, the, the past is gone. It's just not, it's not going to come back. Normal died. We can give all the metaphors we want, but, uh, the, you know, we're, we're living, we're no longer living in a linear world. We're in an exponential world. Things are changing incredibly fast, unpredictably uncertain. And our mindset, uh, people still have behave in a way that, that things are slow and predictable. And so, you know, the popular term right now is unlearning, which I didn't understand initially, but there is a great, great video out there and it is not mine. I didn't produce it. But if you do a Google search uh, or specifically go to YouTube and do a search for the backwards bicycle and what the backwards bicycle did, and it gives a great example of unlearning. I can't remember his name, but he took a bike. He had a friend, a mechanical engineer, reverse the mechanism in the handlebar. And you'll just have to picture this because we're, we're obviously just doing audio. But that every time you turn the handlebars to the left, the wheel went to the right. And every time you turn the handlebars to the right, it went to the left. And you wouldn't think that would be difficult. But when you're riding a bike, you're constantly balancing. And it took him eight months to learn how to think differently, how to make those constant micro adjustments. You know, and, and part of his message was that it only took his six-year-old or his eight-year-old son like two weeks to master it. But as adults, even a young adult, we've learned to do things a certain way. We see things, they're programmed or hardwired to do it. And frankly, Life going forward is going to be so different. So one of the things was we just don't have the ability to, to it is very difficult to, to hold two contradictory thoughts and react on them instantaneously. Uh, so we have to unlearn what we thought we knew to be true because it's no longer true and uh, learn new ways to, to, to live and thrive. 
And finally, Ira, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, definitely why. People have lost their thirst for curiosity. They may pursue knowledge, but it's sort of going down a rabbit hole. They become experts in one area. You know, as kids, you know, we've got a one-year-old grandson now, and it's amazing. I mean, there, there is nothing that doesn't catch his eye. He wants to figure out everything. And then a good friend of mine came up with an acronym, uh, Dr. Diane Hamilton, for this. It's like, why do people lose their curiosity? Why do they stop asking why? And this stop asking why turns out to be, uh, her acronym is called FATE. And it's fear of making a mistake, assumptions that we make, technology. This, uh, you know, if we, use, if, if we just allow it to do everything for us, it goes on autopilot. And then the environment. And, you know, schools, parenting, companies sort of crush curiosity. That's not the way we do things around here. Don't ask so many stupid questions. So, yeah, I mean, to, to succeed in the future, we definitely have to, have, have to ask why, not why not. Well, Ira, we're here today to talk about your new book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, as well as HR. But you also haven't written only about HR in this book. Could you talk a little bit about the book, what caused you to write it, as well as what you talk about in Recruiting in the Age of Googleization? Yeah, let me first thing is I really hate writing books, but I've written six of them. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a much better article writer. Uh, I'm also uh, got a marketing DNA in my blood. Some of my family all came from retail and marketing, you know, recognizing that, hey, put all these writings together. Why don't you put them together in a book? Because if you write a book, you're, you know, quote, unquote, expert. The book itself, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, was actually going to be reluctantly a sequel to my prior book, Geek Skeezers in Googleization, which was about, at the time, the four generations in the workplace, uh, mostly about the, you know, it was about the millennials, Gen X, baby boomers, and then the, the veterans or seniors or traditionalists, which was anybody born before 1945. And I wrote that in the mid-2008. Great timing right before the big recession. But everybody was bashing the millennials. And then it was a couple years later, and I had written quite a few things, and technology was changing, and I did it to my TED Talk in 2016. And the TED Talk was about change, and I had so much information. I had done so much research on that, and I decided it was time. It was time to kind of pull out everything I've written, pull it all together, simply do a Geek Skeezers Googleization 2.0, add, talk about the Gen Z the new, you know, the newest generation, anyone born, you know, after 2000 and update all the technology. And when I started to review my, the, the original book, I realized that I hadn't even talked about the iPad or tablets or the cloud because when I went back, it was like, how did I miss it? Realizing that I put, it was published. I wrote it in 2008, published 2009 and the iPad didn't even come out to 2010. The cloud was something futurists talk about, <laughs> that everything would be up there. Uh, we still didn't have great bandwidth. So there was there were so many things. So when I sat down, I realized it's, it's a completely new book. And I wrote the book about change. The original title was When the Shift Hits Your Plan. And it certainly hit our plans in 2020, <laughs> the, the, the shift. And, uh, and then, I, as I said, the marketing hat went on, and it's like, who's going to read this? And I wanted everyone to read it. 
But my audiences from my business is particularly HR, small business owners. People know me as a hiring expert. So I, I put it in the context of how is hiring people, what's talent acquisition and recruiting going to look like going forward in a new environment? Uh, so the first half of the book is just about the future. Last half of the book is a framework to what recruit what I thought recruitment was going to look like in five to 10 years. And 2020 hit, and it's what it looks like now. And that leads to a lot of questions that are probably on people's minds. And one of those is, what has 2020 done that has sped things forward? And has it changed things? Has it, has it introduced things that weren't part of the plan previously? Well, it introduced things that weren't part of most people's plans, because most people hang on to the status quo, the normal, you know, that's far out. That's not going to happen in my industry. Uh, I've been in the business 25 years or 30 years or 40 years and haven't seen it. So, uh, again, all those things hit. What significantly changed was it was obviously a once in a century event, which I don't think is going to be. I think we're going to have them more frequently. But uh, and everybody went home. And what it did was it accelerated everything from a technology standpoint where companies were reluctant to allow people to work from home, where people were reluctant to work from home because they were in the routine. They, you know, somehow they hated the two-hour commute every day, but they, they kept doing it because it was just what they did and that's how you did things. And then all of a sudden, everybody was sent home. So what the pandemic did was not set us back, but it accelerated us to the future. And it, it really lit a fire under that exponential curve, which, by the way, most people prior to the pandemic probably couldn't tell you what exponential meant. They might have said fast, but it was mentioned so many times that you probably can ask a three-year-old what exponential means and they can describe it. So, it, you know, we're, we're linear, where we, where we lived on this gradual, incremental change, which sometimes could last a generation or two, all of a sudden, uh, just like an iPhone, uh, which has a new version, you know, every few months, it seems, that's what life is. And uh, so the pandemic definitely accelerated the pace of change and adoption, and uh, that's going to continue. And so what do people need to be thinking about, both from the employee side, if, if someone's listening to this and is working maybe as a leader, but also as an employee, what should they be thinking about for themselves for the future, as well as what should recruiters be thinking about as far as how things have changed and how they need to change to respond to be ahead of the game rather than trying to catch up? You know, I tried to, to explain how fast things change, because again, since the beginning of time, actually since BC with... Uh, I just drew a blank on the name of the uh, philosopher who had said the only thing in life that's constant is change. The, there was an analogy that someone, I just read this, and that actually was in that ad Adaptation Advantage book. And they said that the technology has progressed according to Moore's law, that the processing speed has doubled every 18 to 24 months and the costs of that processing speed has been cut in half. And people sort of relate to that. They don't necessarily put it. But, you know, right now we all have enough computer power in our phones that exceeded what it took to land on the moon, which is just blows everybody's mind. But they also said if the VW Beetle had progressed at the same rate as technology, that it would go at 100,000 miles per hour, it would get a million miles per gallon of gasoline, 
and it would cost four cents. That, that's how the world's changed. And because the vehicle didn't, we still, you know, certainly improved over what it was, but not, not at that particular rate. So the advice to, the general advice I have to everybody is that we don't know exactly what new normal is going to look like. It's still evolving, but you have a chance to shape it. So we're, we're all going to be living in this world of fast speed. And, and in fact, I just, I, I just put out something, anybody who follows me on LinkedIn, which hopefully you will, or Twitter or whatever, I, I just put out this question of what if 2020 is the new normal? Because people still want to go back to the way it was. And that's not going to happen. And what if our life is continually as uncertain, complex, ambiguous, you know, the, my, the VUCA analogy, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. What if that is our new normal? And as human beings, we'll learn to make that our normal. We'll learn to adapt it because that's the environment we're going to live in. So when it comes to recruiting at some companies, you going back even to my VW, my, my vehicle, any vehicle uh, analogy, of how fast things change. Think about this. The way we recruit people has changed a bit because we used to put ads in a Sunday newspaper, you know, maybe a flyer in the local supermarket, sort of, you know, word of mouth in our community. But then we went to digital job boards. So it still was a similar process. But think about the application. The application itself that we use now is developed in the 1950s, where you ask people, the first thing you ask them is a first name, last name, city, address, the last three employers, where you graduated high school, the name of the principal. It asks for all this information. And that may be appropriate for a 20-year-old, but it has no qualifications for somebody who's been in business, where you went to high school, what, what was your high school diploma, and if you've been in business for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years. Yet, even the, the technology was developed around this old, tired process of how we hire people. And I, I guess that's the biggest lesson that I've learned since writing the book and speaking to people and consulting with companies is that we continue on this path of trying to make a shorter application, which is, you know, for a candidate experience. But the problem is we're still not asking things that qualify someone for a job. We're accumulating all this information because we need it to comply with regulations. You can't hire somebody without their name address. So we try to get all that up front. Let's get that out of the way first. And that's not the way you wouldn't do that to buy on Amazon. If the first thing that you had to do is to purchase something on Amazon was to fill out a credit application to see if you're qualified to use Amazon, no one would use it. It wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be the, the, the machine it is. And yet that's how HR operates. And so that leads me to a question that I should have asked earlier, but you set it up great now. That is, what is Googleization and what does recruiting look like, as your book says, in the age of Googleization? Googleization, uh, you know, just kind of the funny story is, is my one of the original titles of the book, but the original book, Geek Skeezers and Googleization, was Geek Skeezers and Technology, or People and Technology. And it was about the convergence of people 
at the time I said it was the convergence of the wired, the tired, and technology. But when I re- started to rewrite it, it was really Googleization is really about the convergence of people, business, and technology. You know, certainly the reference is Google, how it's impacted our lives. We Google everything. Just recently, you know, even the government's now suing, you know, Google because of of what it's become. There's a great documentary out there, not only about Google, but Facebook and really any any large technology company that collects data on you, which is everybody, every technology company. Uh, and it's about how our lives have, how our lives are going to change. And there's a lot of good that's come from it, from the technology and data collection. And, you know, and certainly our, our health and well-being and, you know, even if we use contact tracing and things like that. I mean, there's a, there's a million things that are good for the welfare and the well-being of humanity can develop from it. But uh, there, there's certainly a lot of evil purposes to it. And we have to learn to get beyond that. But it's the Googleization is really uh, it's just the life we live in. It was kind of a single word. And I picked it because it was a good alliteration between geeks and geezers. So let me ask you this then. If there is a leader out there, a business owner who has that innovative spirit and wants to be getting rid of some of the excesses of applications and things like that, what is, and I know you're not giving legal advice here or anything like that, but what do you begin to think about? What's your vision for what this type of person can do to help ease recruiting and make it more effective and more accessible, not only for the employees, but also just a, a less of a brain drain for the people who are trying to get the best workers into their businesses? It's a challenge. I don't want to say it's an easy task, but the, the principle is easy. You hire people on their competencies and their competencies, which makes up the old knowledge, skills, and ability. You know, one of the questions is that I ask a client when they say, hey, do you have a test for this? And I do. I mean, that's one of my businesses. We do pre-employment and leadership testing. So, I, you know, almost every call starts with, hey, we, we, we came to your website and we want to test our customer service person or we're hiring a new CEO or VP of sales or whatever it is. And my question is, if you and I have this conversation 12 months from now, what is it that this person that you hire, this human being that you're going to hire, needs to complete to say, this was a great hire? It sounds simple, doesn't it? You know, what do you want them to do? How are you going to measure their success 12 months from now? And you know that, uh, and I'm not, this isn't an exaggeration. At least half, and I may be conservative at that, at least half of the people don't know. Or their metrics are so vague. Well, we want them to get more sales. We want them to fit in. Uh, We want them to work hard. Okay. And if they work hard and fit in and get more sales, will that meet your expectations? Or is it not going to be enough? Or which of those three is even important? And how would you even measure it? If somebody's working hard but not getting results, are you going to keep them on the payroll? Are you going to give them a bonus? Is that going to be a great hire? So it goes back to something simple. And frankly, companies, organizations, both profit, nonprofit, small, large, got away with it for years. They wrote a job description, and they put it up there, and they hired people to it. And yet, 
more than 50% of people, and, and in some areas, significantly more than that, fail within the first 90 days. It's, it's crazy. And we're living in an environment now that, that you no longer can afford to do that. It used to be if somebody didn't work out, there was somebody standing in line. Now, if somebody doesn't work out, it could, especially for a skilled job, it could take 18 to 24 months to find the replacement for that person. And if you do it too often, your employment brand's horrible because you can't keep people. There's constant turnover. Morale goes down. You know, other people are affected when you have high turnover. So it, it becomes a kind of a vicious cycle and a rabbit hole. So my my question, you know, going back, as I said, it's a somewhat simple answer, but it's not always easy to figure it out, is how are you going to measure the success of that person? What are, what are they supposed to do? And then what are the skills and abilities that they need? And also, what are their, you know, personal interests and values? How will they fit into your culture? That's where it gets tricky because people hire people, oh, we need an extrovert for a salesperson. We need introverts for accountants. It's not that easy, folks. Uh, it's easy because there's, you know, we've got 10,000 different assessments. I mean, there's essentially nothing you can't measure. The problem is, is I, I used to talk about, you know, if you were having chest pain and, and you were rushed to the ER and the doctor says, oh, you're fine. Your blood sugar is normal. <laughs> the test was correct, it's, but it's the wrong diagnosis. And that's sort of what's happened in HR for years. They, they pick out criteria that they think should work, but it may have nothing to do with what makes people successful. And, and again, this is where technology is coming in because we can measure just about everything. And now, if, now you can go back and measure your work first, measure your, you know, assess your top performers, find out what is it that makes them successful, and then not clone them because cloning doesn't work either. But it at least gives you a model, a, a framework, a reference to uh, what, what can make people successful. How can you find other successful people? Then if you look for other people who are similar to the people that have been successful in your, in your organization, it works. Well, Ira, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Before we finish up, is there anything that you would like to leave listeners with, whether it's something that you would like to reiterate from our conversation or whether it's something that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that you think is really important for the listeners? Well, my message is, and again, it's sometimes it's frightening, you know, in my message on LinkedIn is that I'm terrified and fascinated by change. And, and that, that is true. And I think everybody should be. It is that despite the fact that we're in this upheaval, uh, we're living in this time of uncertainty and complexity, there is so much hope out there. There, there really are a lot of opportunities uh, if we can stop tripping over our own feet, trying to go back to the way it was. Uh, so I, I hope everybody will take some encouragement, be a little bit more open-minded. And the one skill that has just come up to the top, uh, and it's being verified in study after study, is adaptability is a skill. It's not just being flexible and, and open-minded. That's not enough. But we have to literally learn to adapt. And adapt means that we have the skill to fit into a new environment. And so we we actually work a lot uh, with something called the adaptability quotient. People might be familiar with like emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, IQ. Well, the, the new 21st century quotient that people need is adaptability. And uh, unlearning is part of that, but there's other factors. So if anybody's interested, you can just go to my website and you'll see a, a ton of information on that. And, and I'm happy to, to share it. And if anybody's interested, happy to work with them. 
And Ira, I would love for you to share a little bit more about where people can go to find out more about you and your book. So do you have any any direct pages people can go to to check out the book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, you can go to Best HR Book. Uh, it was actually awarded that by Book Authority, one of the best uh, HR books of all time. Uh, you can actually get a free copy uh, up there. You can download that. And you can also, uh, about me, best place is LinkedIn. I'm always I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. You can learn about me, connect with me, send me messages, ask me questions. And my website, successperformancesolutions.com. All right, Ira, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Good luck. Stay safe. Once again, if you like a free copy of Ira's book, you can go to besthrbook.com. And if you'd like to connect with him on LinkedIn or any other number of places, you can see how to do that in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. We don't know what the new normal, quote unquote, will look like, but you have the chance to shape it. I love that empowering message, and there's a lot of truth behind it. Don't just sit around and see what's going to happen. Be someone who helps to shape the future in whatever way you can. The second key takeaway is this. In 12 months, what would a new employee need to complete in order for you to consider it a great hire? Because most people either don't know what that would look like or their metrics are too vague. So develop what you would consider the top things a new employee would need to complete in order for you to feel really good about that hire. As you begin to identify metrics and pay more attention to them, not only can you have a clear idea of how that particular employee is performing, but you begin to get a better idea of what great employees look like. And that's going to help in your hiring process as well as when you're building your own company's culture. And the final key takeaway is this. We need to learn to adapt and fit into a new environment. One of the things that Ira said is that there's so much opportunity and hope as long as we don't try to go back to the way it was. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, take every situation and turn it into gold. So where is the golden opportunity in this situation? You may have identified it already for you and your organization, for you and your life. But if you have not yet done that, where is that opportunity for growth, for improvement, and for development? And here's the thing. If you need inspiration for how to improve your current situation, for how to grow and become the person you need to be to address this situation and turn it into that golden opportunity, one thing you can do is download the Leadership Action List, which is going to give you more than 50 ideas of action steps you can take as a leader to improve yourself and your organization. If you'd like this free resource, you can download it at leadershipactionlist.com. We'll be back once again next week with some more great interviews. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So 
What's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.